Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, strength coach, I'm in strength field. And we just announced it yesterday. Um, I'm kind of co-director here of the Topeka Classic Strength Festival. So, Festival, that sounds like high. comprehensive. Yes. So, Good stuff. A little bit of everything. Highland Games, Highland Games, Strongman, Tug of War. We're mixing it all up. So, Good stuff. Okay. Uh, let's get to some of our news, and then we're going to make good on our promise of a plans and predictions episode. Uh, fitness industry, what's happening in science, that kind of stuff. And we'll try to make this as uh, evidence-based as possible. But honestly, frankly, some of our own plans are just opinions and hopes. But uh, Strength and Muscle Sport News. Three very different pieces of news. Let's start with this first one. This is a trending article from labroots.com. Uh, this is one of those feeds that I get, you know, if you're like, how does Lonnie always have all this stuff coming through? You just hook up these, some of these feeds, you know, there's quite a few, but it says a micro needle patch for weight loss. This is written by Brenda Kelly, again, through Lab Roots. It says there's a new drug delivery system, basically. It uses tiny micro needles on a skin patch to deliver medication. Now, I've seen things like this before. I used to have a bunch of what were called gluco watches. And I, I'm pretty sure it was a similar technology where it would gently scratch your skin and kind of try to figure out your blood sugar, your blood glucose levels through these, you know, like the like the interstitial fluid in your skin. But this is a way to deliver drugs locally. And there's some neat advantages to this. So bear with me. It says so far it's only been tested in mice. However, the patch and the drugs that are embedded are known to convert white fat into brown and a lot of our listeners know brown fat's very metabolically active, right? It has more mitochondria, it has more blood supply. Um, so uh, there are actually some interventions with different kinds of livestock and that kind of thing. Like if you can get more brown fat, it's going to reduce the fatness in an animal's carcass, like a, you know um, agriculture stuff, but also for people. And so you, know, you, can't, you can't help but make your mind wander to this as far as people go, in fact, in the article, they speculate this could be used for people. It says the patch is small and covered with hundreds of micro needles that are drenched in either a beta-3 adrenergic agonist or T3, right? Thyroid hormone, the more active type of thyroid, triiodothyronine. Uh, a lot of listeners might know that beta agonists are the typical stimulant type things. You know, um, one of the things that was so curious about ephedrine that was popular for so long and um, ephedra and that sort of thing uh, is that it, it stimulated both beta 1, 2, and 3 or all of those types of receptors so beta 3 uh, adrenergic agonists like this, very interesting stuff, but like I said, also thyroid and again, locally administered. It says it's pressed into the skin and after a few minutes the micro needles detach from the underside and stay in the skin. Now that sounds creepy, but it says they're biodegradable so that's kind of the point um it says the device, which is just a cloth covering some adhesive, is easily removed. Like I said, the needles don't have to come out. They, they biodegrade. Uh, in the mice used in the study, even though they were fed high-fat diets, they did not gain as much weight as typical mice on the same diet. Also, the fat in their bodies began to brown after just five days. And the existing fat mass in their bodies, so sort of elsewhere, uh, was reduced by 30% over four weeks. Now, that's mice. That might not ha happen in people. I mean, can you imagine losing almost a third of all your body fat in a month? Um, that's probably not going to happen. But the amount of drugs uh, used in the patch is much less. So, of course, that makes it cheaper. And also, it minimizes side effects, according to the researchers. Um, this study was published in the journal Small Methods. So I thought people might be interested in that. If you like your pre-workouts and that sort of thing, 
Um, let's see where this goes, but that seems to be one approach, right? It's, it's cheaper and there'll be lower side effects, right? Because if you could get like a beta agonist straight into your body fat without, you know, systemically circulating all around and affecting your heart unduly and that kind of stuff, that's very cool, I think. Um, so micro needle patches for fat loss. So local, right? Specific, like spot reduction type fat loss. Very interesting stuff. Um, next, uh, and I want you to weigh in on this one, Phil. I, I got this from Daria. I'm actually going to ask her to be on the show. Daria is sort of like a young uh, Rick Collins. He, she's ex-phys slash law. She's a law student right now. Um, but she sent me something from Cosmo. I, I don't read Cosmopolitan, right? But um, there's a piece in here that says, is your workout a little too extra? It says... Um, you know from the classes that you take, you know, when you're feeling amped and that sort of thing, but basically, are we overdoing it? Uh, and this is a very small printout I'm trying to read. Um, in a few years, in just the past few years, physicians are seeing and reporting increased injury in shoulder, hip, and knee uh, caused by high impact movements. And when Daria sent this, she was suggesting and there might be elsewhere in this article i'm just not seeing it right here but uh, some link with like crossfit you know everything's very kind of jerky and those sort of kipping chin-ups and so you know shoulder injuries and things like that again I'm, that's speculation i know we have a lot of people who love crossfit stuff um but essentially they were saying you don't have to skip balls to the wall workouts you just have to train smarter you know and they got some comments from people around the industry about something that you and i might think is obvious give yourself four to six weeks to do some type of general conditioning like if you go from not training for a year and you're going to start doing really ballistic impact kinds of jerky movements with a, a lot of weight that's not smart right not smart so anyway she wanted uh me to see that and like i said she was sort of relating that to some of the really high in, you know interval intensity i do think there's a big train uh trend toward more intensity less volume more intensity i don't do you have any thoughts about that phil yeah, I mean it's going it's going both ways now, but uh, no, it's definitely a trend. I mean, and it's I think uh, it's kind the of hard the part injuries. is I'm a firm believer in the whole you know you you shouldn't do a workout that totally wrecks you. Um, it's just not a good that that mindset is still out there that that uh you know if if I can if I don't have to drag myself out of the gym, it wasn't a good workout. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I, I I think it's the way has changed a little bit, but I'm not sure that'll ever be gone. I mean, it's just people think that's that's right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, well, you're young and you're vigorous, so. and you know it's yeah. it's fun to do things like take pre workouts. I used to have discussions yeah. about is there an optimal level of exhaustion or soreness when you're done? But God, mm -hmm. that's where bodybuilding, I think, and powerlifting could differ in a bit, right? A lot of these magazines. Everything is such hyperbole. I've, I've said it before. You know, redline yeah. this and extreme that and mushroom clouds and all this crazy you yeah. know, intensity. And, you know. and I think there's a place for it. I yes. mean, that's, I'm not saying I – think, I think there's a place for it in brief stints. It's when you think this is a long-term thing that it's problematic. And that's like the whole squat every day. And that's a big one now or has been. And right. Heavy squats I think too. That is, yeah. And I think that's great in the short term. Um, and you go to – kind of that super compensation effect and things like that. But trying to run that long term is where you, it turns problematic. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody looks at the Bulgarian method and things like that and it's like, "Oh, that's neat, but you're literally talking about a country that you know, okay, we're going to bring in 200 athletes the four that are still standing in 4 years are the ones that are going to compete." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, right. When yeah. you have a pool of athletes like that, that's not it's not a great method for the average person for long-term success. You know, yeah. so yeah. If, I There's, suppose if you want to go through something and be one of those people like I lived through it, you know, well, great. You know? <laughs> right. It's sort of bragging rights. But and, you know, I think yeah. a lot of people need to think about some of the specifics too. like if those guys are doing mostly weightlifting there's less eccentric stuff you know and they can do it more often or obviously performance enhancing drugs. You know, we keep hearing stuff out of the Eastern Bloc type countries. You know, with that, and that might allow some of those things to happen. Then you get mm -hmm. the the gung ho twenty two year old here in the states, and like I'm going to do that, and, and they're yeah. not just doing concentric only Olympic lifts. You know, they're not on anything. Yeah. 
and they destroy themselves, frankly. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up, because this looks like partly an opinion piece, but it does say, uh, according to Eugene Yin, uh, who's an uh, orthopedic doc, he's basically mm -hmm. talking about increased reporting of shoulder, hip, uh, and knee injuries. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, specific to the high impact stuff. So. Oh, no, I mean, for sure. I mean, it all makes sense. And especially if you're taking somebody taking somebody off the street that has no background in it. I mean, and okay, we're going to do high impact stuff. <laughs> yeah. Their tendons and nothing is ready for it. Um, yeah. you know, I think the, the amount of Achilles tears and things like that that we've seen in the years this has drastically increased due to that. Yeah, so. I would think it's common sense to, you know, the typical like exercise phys approach is to do a four to six week conditioning phase before you do mm -hmm. something yeah. you know, ramp up to the intensity for god's mm -hmm. sake don't just because you're excited and honestly i'm i'm actually working on a case report right now of a tendon rupture and it's just speculation because it, it's not causal it's a case study but uh it involved lots of stimulants and i think if you get that mm -hmm. jazzed and you've been detrained for a long time yeah, especially some of the guys we know, like you get these middle-aged guys, they get strong enough to hurt themselves, frankly. They just oh, yeah. do. Yeah. And then you, you pour I, a little I, bit of stimulant in there, and I can see the increased injuries, you know. I can tell you another thing that I watch for, especially this time of year, is uh, people being prescribed Z-Packs and things like that. And the amount of tendon problems that has turned out to afford. Oh, know? yeah, interesting. And I, I have to warn them, you know, a lot of those... A lot of those, I said, look at what your doctor prescribed you because a lot of them you look it up and, you know, it it leads to tendon injury. And it's like you need to back off for four or five weeks <laughs> or however long it is. Yeah. Um, and we need to be careful because there there is an increased risk with some of those antibiotics to, you know, tendon strength and things like that. So, yeah. No, that's interesting. Uh, in years but, past, we did do, in fact, a systematic review. Like we went and looked at what are the most common injuries and what's like your, your relative risk of injuring your shoulders versus, you know, different joints among weightlifters. There, there are actual studies about that, and we've already kind of covered a lot of that stuff. So if anybody's really interested, they can go look. I, like I said, this is just sort of a, a clinical report about, you know, more injuries and and from all the sort of ballistic, bouncing, impactful stuff that people are, are, are starting to do. So um, mm -hmm. I have one more. This, is, this came from multiple sources, but essentially Nick Bird, and we've had him, Dr. Bird on the show before. He does a lot of the work uh, with like protein synthesis and what foods are the most anabolic and that sort of thing with the you, using isotopes and tracers, whatnot. Um, consumption of whole eggs promotes greater stimulation of post-exercise muscle protein synthesis than consumption of isonitrogenous amount of egg whites in young men. So isonitrogenous just means it's the same amount of protein, uh, egg whites versus the whole eggs. But this is uh, new stuff, and like I said, it's circulating around. But it says um, the effect of consuming protein in its natural whole food matrix on postprandial, right, post-meal protein metabolism remains understudied in humans. So they took 10 resistance-trained men uh, in their early 20s. Uh, after exercise, they consumed either labeled, right, so leucine, a tracer, labeled whole eggs, uh, 18 grams of protein and 17 grams of fat, or just egg whites. So it had the 18 grams of protein, but no fat. Uh, they did repeated blood and muscle biopsies, and then they looked at myofibrillar protein synthesis. Um, now, interestingly, uh, it says total plasma availability of leucine, and a lot of us know, right, the leucine content of a meal is typically related to how anabolic it is. The blood levels of leucine um, over the 300-minute period uh, were similar between the whole eggs and the egg white. So there's like a 66 to 68 uh, percent, you know, uh, response increase in, in leucine. However, whole egg ingestion uh, increased post-exercise myofibrillar protein synthesis to a greater extent than the egg whites, and it was statistically significant, so P.04. So conclusions, we show the ingestion of whole eggs immediately after resistance exercise resulted in greater stimulation of myofibrillar protein synthesis than did the egg whites. Uh, this is something that 
honestly, I've done for a long time. And not that I'm Mr. Clever or anything, but I think a lot of people have kind of moved toward whole egg in a sense. I mean, if you're trying to be anabolic and grow, you can use the calories anyway. But it's interesting that even though the leucine responses were similar as far as absorption and all that, the protein content was similar, uh, the whole eggs were more anabolic. So, Phil, I'm guessing you don't just eat egg whites. No. No. I mean, I did when I was doing my diet thing a little bit, but not, no, not a lot. Mm-hmm. I just down, honestly, is the carbohydrates you know, when right. I'm dieting them. So I keep some fat in. But. No, right. Um, yeah, in the past, I've, I've actually seen, seen studies that it's better to eat whole eggs. You know, they had a higher, like if you look at the um, protein quality, uh, like the protein digestibility, mm-hmm. amino acid corrected score, like having some of the protein from the yolk along with the white. Uh, whole egg tended to score higher than egg white, and I think this this basically validates that in people. Uh, even when I do have egg whites, I'll usually make one like over easy egg and kind of smash mm-hmm. it over my egg whites, and almost the yolk is almost like a hollandaise sauce for me, you know that. Kind yeah. Of, you know, so um, yeah, so that's cool stuff. And I, I mean, we're going to do some predictions in a minute here, and I would look for more stuff coming out of Nick Bird's lab because uh, those guys are. If you want. You know, experienced, evidence-based stuff. Those are the kinds of labs that you look to. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess consider your whole eggs, people, uh, instead of just egg whites all the time. Um, okay, that's all I've got. Uh, do you have any news before we go to the the break? No, nothing. Nothing really going on that I've seen. I mean, we got the Arnold coming up and things like that. So, that's true. That's, that's true. about it. That's when the news will start hitting again for the new year. So, Arnold's oh. kind of like the, the the starting point of the new year. So. Yeah, that's a good observation. That's true. Yeah, it yeah. kind of starts the the fitness season in a sense because it's early yep. in the year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to go to break, everyone. Then, and when we come back, we're going to talk about plans and predictions for 2018. Hey, listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you. Uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're going to talk about, you know, like Lonnie said, it's kind of an opinion piece, but what we feel are the predictions and uh, trends for the upcoming year. So, 
The number one that sticks out to me that I wrote down here is women, women in, in athletics and fitness. We've seen it raising over the last few years. Um, I think women right now, the last two or three years in this coming year, <clears throat> are doing the most impressive things in, in strength sports at least, if not in fitness worldwide. I mean, they are more fun to watch. They're breaking more records. And they're breaking more new ground uh, than men have in years. You know, I mean, you'll see guys break world records by like two pounds and you're seeing huge, like just the records getting broken over and over again as far as women go. So that's that's one prediction for me is that I think it's going to be women are going to continue to kick ass and rewrite what they're able to do as far as strength goes in the new year. Yeah, I, I you know what, if I was uh, in a conversation this past week about women's bodybuilding, too, and I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, just looking through like Google images about this, we we're specifically talking about females' arms, you know, training arms, and there's some really great physiques that are, they're not overdoing it. You know how like women's bodybuilding grew to such an extent, and I mean, physically grown <laughs> to the point that yeah. uh, I think it turned a lot of people off, and I mean, that sounds sexist to some people, mm -hmm. but people, right or wrong, they expect like what looks good on a woman is not always exactly what looks good on a man. And some of these images yes. that I'm looking at, uh, um, these women are freaking impressive. I mean, yeah. arms like uh, deltoid arm tie-ins and stuff like that, just um, wow. And there was one, yeah. I'm trying to find it, I'm not seeing it here, but uh, there's a redhead female bodybuilder, pro bodybuilder, damn, just, that's, that's the look, incredibly strong, you know, Fairly thick, but ripped arms. More bodybuilder than just, like, certainly more than bikini, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, very impressive. Let me offer some food ones. Uh, this is through the Institute of Food Technologists, like food trends. Uh, some of these things might be interesting. They're not all directly sports nutrition, but you can see the links as I go through this. Uh, one, the popularity of non-dairy milk is going to continue to grow. So I don't know if people have this in their fridge, but God, 10 years ago, I didn't really have pea milk and coconut milk and, you know, um, almond milk and all this other stuff. I think soy is really falling off. I don't see a lot of soy milk anymore. I think there's been enough concern. Um, the feds are backing away from some of those claims, you know, the anti-heart disease claims from the soy stuff. But um, apparently the non-dairy milk sales are over $2 billion. So there's a real trend in... In milk, that's not just from cows. Uh, in in my fridge, I always have a half a gallon of milk. I don't drink quite as much as I used to. I like milk. You know, sometimes it gets heat, but it's really high quality protein, potassium, and you know, there's not many sources of vitamin D in the diet. Right? It's fortified with D. But um, so I thought that one was interesting. Um, this is one I I bet most listeners will say, yeah, that's true. Retailer prepared foods. So pre prepared foods. Uh, are going to continue to grow according to a technomics uh, report. I think there's like an industry marketing firm. Like you're hearing a lot of stuff about, what was it Whole Foods got bought by Amazon? Was that right? Um, but essentially like to your door already made stuff or even walk into a convenience store and they've got a lot of pre-prepared stuff that might not be considered the highest quality stuff, but consumers are looking for stuff that's already made. I think it's sort of suggestive that people just have less and less time less and less sleep, less and less everything. So they just want the stuff, you know, essentially brought to them. Uh, I've even seen in some tech sites, and I, I don't have a link for this, but even refrigerators are being sold now that when you're low, it's sort of like along the lines of Alexa and the internet of things, you know, that there's everything in your house is wired and it can even tell you I, low on milk or even leave you out of the loop if it's okay, if you set the settings right, and it will actually order produce or milk or different things that come to your door when it's low in your fridge, and you don't even have to think about replacing your food stores. Wow. So, yeah, retailer-prepared foods are supposedly big. And then uh, gene editing uh, when it comes to livestock and that sort of thing. Uh, when I get to the science-specific predictions, we'll talk more about this, but... Uh, like there's a report of that gene editing from CRISPR, right? CRISPR-Cas9. It's a technique that made it much faster and cheaper to do, to edit genes, right? Uh, and in this case, it's being used with livestock pigs in China. So this is fairly new, but watch for this to happen. So what they did was 
they edited in a specific enzyme. And the scientists that listen, it's uncoupling protein 1, UCP1. It's, it's one of those things that makes brown fat different from white fat, like we were talking about a little bit ago. But um, leaner, meatier pigs, I guess, coming down the pike. Uh, their, their body fatness was reduced 5% and lean mass increased 3.4%. Now, you might not think that that sounds like a lot, but, I mean, 5% on a 200-pound guy, that's a fair amount of, of meat, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, if, if it were to be done in people, but again, this is more like embryos and pigs. So mostly, I th- I think I see this as being from the food side. Uh, they've always been trying to do that with livestock, right? With you yeah. know, people are concerned about hormones in their beef and that kind of stuff. I'm really not, but you know, it's one of those things that you know the it makes sense. If you're going to grow an animal, then you don't want it to be fatty and less of its you know, edible in a, in a good way. I mean, obviously fat's edible too, but you get the point. So they're doing gene editing and pigs and stuff like that. In fact, lab grown meat is, is one of my predictions. You're going to see that continue to grow. There are multiple companies growing muscle cells in vats like uh, Memphis meats. We talked about it back last summer. Uh, if I had a couple of grand to throw around, I would invest in something like Memphis meats mm-hmm. because right now it's thousands of dollars a pound but in a very short order, as they start to get their methods down, it's going to be on par with regular meats. And I think that's going to create a conundrum for, like, the vegans out there and stuff. If you're a vegetarian for ethical reasons, no animal mm-hmm. suffers, right? They're growing yeah. the, the meat uh, on this, like, collagen matrix, so it, it actually chews and looks and tastes like meat. Um, yeah, if an animal doesn't suffer, why are you avoiding the meat? I, you know, I unless you're trying to do it for supposed health reasons but boy you got to be real careful saying stuff like oh red meat's bad for you i was talking about that in class mm-hmm. this week like don't tell me a, bo- a cut of bottom round steak is exactly the same as bologna and hot dogs you know yeah. they, they lump all that together as red meat and the latter has not you know artificial colors and flavors and nitrite preservatives and crap and that's not the same thing as round steak you know ask any bodybuilder or lifter Anyway, so, yeah, the, the lab-grown meats. And then the final thing, uh, from a health perspective, uh, continued interest in the, the gut bacteria, right, the microbiome. You're going to continue to see stuff with that. In fact, I saw a news blurb too late to talk about today um, where there are interesting findings, uh, and I'll share that coming up next week, but uh, continued gut bacteria stuff coming down the pike. So all of that stuff is in and around from the Institute of Food Technologist, if you want to get there, like they have an IFT wellness letter I've been pushing and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's neat to keep up on the food tech side of things. Uh, but that's my rambling uh, for the food stuff. <laughs> what else What else do you have, Phil, Phil, like fitness or lifting? Or- oh, I mean, I think, I think powerlifting and, and weightlifting, I think we're going to continue to see a rise in it. I mean, you've seen it ro- rise to astronomical levels compared to what it was before um and i think a lot of it is due to crossfit but i think that's going to keep on an upswing i mean like i I was talking to several meat promoters just recently and like when i was out at record breakers and things like that and it used to be like you'd post a meet and three months out and you'd be begging for spots like a week before it and now i mean good events are sold out in 24 hours you know, and have waiting lists. Oh, it's it's a it's amazing the turnaround. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you were lucky to fill up meats five six years ago, and now you got meats double the size that are sold out in twenty four hours. Um, Can I, I ask think you, both those sports are going to continue to rise. Let but, me ask you here, why you think? Do you think it's there's more people, or do you think people are more apt to compete? Maybe you know, is competition something that was once reserved for? the elite i don't know or the very ballsy yeah think I more think so. people are just competing I, mean, I think it's both um you're seeing more and more people compete and it's less of a like powerlifting. that's good and bad um you know you used to go in and it was all big hairy guys that were you know big and strong and now yeah. you've got a little bit of everybody which is good i mean i try and get all my people to compete and i was like and tell them it doesn't matter what you lift um, as long as you're doing more than you did before you know, and yeah. go in there, set a bar as far as, as as far as the meat goes. And I think it's this rise, and we've seen a huge rise in, I don't know, what I call an athletic culture. <laughs> it's more today about what you can do than it is just how you look. Um, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that the how you look is totally gone. 
Um, because I also think the day of the, the giant super heavyweight power lifter is kind of gone. Um, there's not as much of that anymore. Yeah. Um, it does lower the barrier a, to entry, sort of like even with bodybuilding, I would tell people, like sometimes I'll have students snicker, oh, you used to bodybuild. And, and I'm like, listen, it's weight classes. You're overlooking that yes. there's classes for you, no matter who you are. Right. And like you're saying with powerlifting, too, you don't have to be a 300 pound bearded behemoth, you know, from the Ukraine in order to be yeah. a powerlifter. Right. Not at all. So, no. And it's but I mean, it's, it's a less of an well, it's still it will always be a niche sport. I don't care what anybody says, but it's less it's much less niche than it was before. I mean, it literally used to be, you know, you'd go in there and everybody had done time in prison and. Yeah, right. That tough, like environment, right? Type of, you know, <laughs> um, so and it's it's much less that now and more. Uh, it's more mainstream than it was before, and I think that's going to continue to grow for a while. Uh, especially in Olympic weightlifting, has taken a big turn. I think there's probably more people doing it in the United States now than there has been maybe ever. Uh, and that's going to continue. A lot more of that. Hmm. Yeah, okay. I think it'll continue to rise. I mean, it's just it's very popular right now. You watch any of the social media and stuff, and the people getting huge followings. Many of them are people doing athletic stuff because uh, they're champion. Like I said, not only not only for how they look, but you know what they can do. So I need, I see that in the like, especially again, we'll go back to women. Um, a lot of my women now, of course, they want big butts and things like that, but they don't want to be twigs. They want to be able to do something. Um, yeah, like it's amazing how far we've talked about it before. It's five years ago, even three fifteen on a squat or deadlift for for females in in lifting was like pretty damn good. That was that was almost that was getting near the pinnacle. And now, just a short time later, that's the baseline. And it's like, yeah, okay, you're starting to be strong, you know? right? So, and that's pretty amazing. And I mean, I think you're seeing a there's a lot more women doing it. When when I used to when I started, there might be one. So and now there's flights of women. Um, so that was a big one. Them getting on board. Yeah. As far as powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting goes, um, but I think that's both of those sports are going to continue to rise up. You so. know, Phil, the um, on the academic side, that's that's really reflected too. It's something you said maybe think about it. When I started in exercise physiology, like university level sorts of schooling, there was literally like one or almost no women in, involved, very few. Like you go to a conference or something like that, you know, and there's a, a small minority. And in the last, I'd say, five to ten years, there's more women in my exercise physiology classes than there are men. And so yeah. it, it just kind of echoes what you're saying. There's an increased interest. And, and, you know, I also like what you're saying about they actually want a lot of the women lifters want big butts and that kind of thing. To me, mm -hmm. that's a continuation. Here's the curmudgeon talk, but over the last several decades, lifters have always enjoyed a little bit of that counterculture. You know, we're a subculture. Mm -hmm. We don't want what you want kind of thing. We're strong enough to actually want to be strong instead of be a twig. And I think that's it's that same it's a continuation or a, a variation on that theme right is like yeah i want the big butt i want to be strong no i don't want to be uh, you know uh, a twig so yeah and i think i mean i'm i'm intelligent enough to know that that my what i see in the world is jaded so i don't think we are the mass we're, we're not the <laughs> you know the people i hang out with aren't the masses for sure but yeah, as far as fitness goes, that's where the fitness group is trending, is towards that side. You know, women have realized I can be strong and it's okay, and I want to be strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, th I think the masses still aren't there, you know, and they never will be. Um, but uh, you know, there's definitely a turn that way. Mm -hmm. To big, big, thick legs and thighs, and you know, right? Butts and it's 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 awesome. I mean, I yeah. love it. So. Yeah, it's my bias that 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 looks. Well, it looks good. I mean, there's two ways. Yeah. It's funny when you do when you look at bodybuilding stuff, you can you know, as a man, I look at some women and I'm super impressed, like respect, you know, and that's a little bit different flavor than that's attractive, you know, but yes. I think even from an attractiveness point of view, some shape on your legs and your behind, that just shows oh, health yeah. and robustness and that, you know, that's good. Yeah. Uh, but that's again, yeah. that's my bias, but but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think that goes back to genetic code. I mean, I do too. If you You're were right. if you were fumbling around the the prehistoric forest and you ran into some twig that was barely had enough food to survive, and then you found somebody who was you know well fed, and I'm going with you. 
know? right no that's you're funny you say that soon, i agree so. i agree i do think it is it's, so. it's selection it's like natural selection you're like yeah. hey that's a good one <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. she knows how to take care of herself right good all strong she's gonna help me <laughs> right <know>? right <laughs> um but uh okay um let me there, there's just one or two things here I got from uh, Nature. So if listeners are familiar, this is like premier science journal. So Nature's the International Journal of Science. They have some predictions coming down. One is that CRISPR-Cas9, so that gene editing, CRISPR, will continue to grow. Uh, I already mentioned it in the from the food side in pigs, making meatier pigs. But uh, there is actually, they mentioned uh, the first phase one clinical trial in people uh, will end in April. It is a type of lung cancer. Um, so interesting stuff can, with human trials and using CRISPR to edit genes. Um, they're also using the technique to fight antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And that's going to be a big thing, too. So as antibiotics start to fail and we can't just, well, like you were saying, like everybody's on a Z-pack, sometimes even when they don't need it, and you know, this can be a problem. And so because you end up with antibiotic resistant bacteria uh, and CRISPR could be one way to sort of tweak uh, and treat the whole thing just by editing ex existing bacteria or natural enemies of certain bacteria. Um, it, it's just interesting approach that instead of using like an antibiotic drug, they're just going to edit the genes. Uh, and then another one is stem cells continuing to become part of medicine. I often tell students CRISPR and stem cells are going to change medicine, right? I hope, I, I just hope I'm not too old to catch some of this wave. Certainly my students would not be. So using pluripotent stem cells, uh, again, with clinical trials, Nature says there's the first trial using stem cells to treat Parkinson's. Uh, it's going to start in Tokyo this year. So um, yeah, I think between gene editing and stem cells to heal stuff instead of doing big surgeries. I've already had two students basically instead of having a lot of hardware put into their lower backs and trying to deal with degenerated discs and you know vertebral bodies and all that. They they got essentially stem cell injections, regrew some of the cartilage right between the vertebral bodies and you know and they're actually fine today. They're lifting heavy weights. It's crazy to me, but. It seems a lot more like it makes more sense instead of cutting something out or taking it out of one part of your body and putting it in another. If you could just squirt in some stem cells and make that area regrow, yeah, give me some of that, right? So uh, that's more from the the hard science side. Yeah. Uh, what about your plans then, Phil? Do you have specific pl for your gym for yourself? What about plans for the coming year? Yeah, this is going to be the as far as me and my gym. This is going to be the year of the event. So, mm -hmm. meaning, uh, you know, we kind of, ever since my son was born, we backed off on seminars and meets and things. Um, this year it's coming back. So I've got a seminar coming up, uh, next month. And then we have so far six events planned you know, for 2018. Wow. So my plan is to do two powerlifting meets a year, two Olympic lifting meets, one strongman meet and the strength field games. And then however many seminars fall in place other than that. You mean um, host it? Host it or, host or compete them. in it? Okay. That's, no, that's going to be us hosting. Yeah. So that's as far as my gym hosting. And competing-wise, yeah, I pretty much got my – I'm laid out for for two meets this year. It'll be the same ones as last year. I've got one coming up at the end of April. I'll be competing at the, uh, the gym in Kansas City again. And that's kind of my uh, – I don't know. I call that my little test meet. So, and then I'll go to I'll go to Reebok Record Breakers again. So, mm -hmm. those are going to be my two meets a year for the time being. Uh, so, I'm getting ready to get started training for the April one here soon. So, cool. I've kind of been in coast mode since Record Breakers, right. and it's amazing. Me and uh, one of my lifters that went out there I was like, I went in and squatted seven or six fifty really easy at that meet, and then since that meet, like I go in the gyms like oh four hundred four hundred five feels like seven. You know, ever since then, I've felt really weak. And I think it's a part of that's mindset. And part of that's just being just backing off. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm older now and I'm smart enough to know I don't have to be full throttle all the time. So it's OK to just come in and hit. But I mean, uh, a big part of it, I think, is I know I don't have a meet for a while. So I'm not in the same mindset of, OK, got to go in and I need to hit 560 for five today. 
you know, type of thing. I'm yeah. kind of going in with the plan of I just need to go in and move around. And I've realized that's okay. I can take a couple months and go in and move. Right. And just hit, you know, okay, if I hit 450 for some, great. You know, I don't need to do more than that today. I don't, I'm, I'm six months out from a meet. You know? Right. So, um, yeah, that's the plan right now. I mean, as far as that, I've got a big meet tomorrow that I'm taking a lift or two. So, with the attempt of squatting 900 at 242. So, uh, God. we've got a lot of people uh, going to be lifting in things. So, and it's then, tough. like I, I talked about at the beginning of the show, the uh, probably the biggest event I'm involved in this year will be the uh, Topeka, what is it called? Topeka Strength Festival. Topeka Classic Strength Festival, which we literally just got the okay for this week. So, and this is something that we're looking to build over years. Uh, a buddy of mine, Darren Plank, started the the event uh, four years ago. This will be year number five. And this year, me and another friend of mine jumped in to help him. And it's like, let's blow this thing up. So I mean, yep. the plan is to turn it into an even larger festival over the years. That's a trend in itself, but, uh, isn't it? Like festival, like blown up broader, bring the family almost kinds of things. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, and that's what I talk to people about is that's the one thing Highland Games has on other sports is that it is wrapped around a festival. So yeah, there's actually there's only so many people that want to sit down for eight hours and watch powerlifting meet. If you have a powerlifting meet going on plus other stuff, it keeps people there all day. You know, then they can go they go watch the lifters they want, and then the three other flights that aren't don't have those lifters, they have stuff to do and hang out. Um, so yeah. basically, the portion I'm running of that is the strongman competition. Um, we're doing a tug of war that's kind of open to everybody. It'll be a round robin type of deal. So I love single. It one person or like four person teams um and it'll be just a like a bracket you know if you lose you go to the loser's bracket and it's going to run down through the day to where uh you're down to the last two last two teams and last two individuals and somebody will walk away with some money um i'm right i'm i'm hosting a 5k uh which is unlike me but like my people in my gym don't even run a lot especially for distance but the thought along that is everybody does it so running, it'll never be, it'll never be a smaller sport than lifting. Just everybody still sees that as a, what you do to be in shape. And it's something, a 5k is something that anybody can be involved in. Yeah. It's, you're being they inclusive, can walk at, you know, you're trying to include everybody. Yeah. So yeah, we're being inclusive. And the big thing for that is, uh, basically I'm going to start the 5k about an hour before the whole, everything else kicks off and it is going to end where everything else is going on. So basically we'll get hundreds of people strolling into the event (laughs) (laughs) right as things are getting kicking off and they'll get their free beer ticket and things like that. So, um, what else am I throwing of that? I'm throwing a, well, we'll call it exercise racing because that other word is trademarked and I don't want to get sued by Greg Glassman. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically that's going to be, uh, I'm going to combine the strongman competition with the 5k. So athletes doing that will have to run the 5K in a race prior. You'll get pointed on where you finish in that, and then you will go and do the strongman competition. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and Com- get pointed in that. Yep. Yes, you'll combine the two, and whoever has the, you know, best score wins. No, um, like what else it. am I throwing in that? Strongman, and then Darren and and Travis are throwing the Highland Games. We've got the disc golf golf club on. They're going to throw a disc golf tournament during it. Um, We've got a beer vendor, and you know we've got coffee vendors, and we're getting food trucks, and yep. uh, looking for music and things like that. So the social stuff is fun. I mean, I'm tempted to before we hit record, everybody. I'm tempted to come out there with some like lab batches of, of different sort of coffee prototypes and stuff I'm working on. And this is not some commercial pitch. It, it, it would actually be free. I just want some taste test data, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but uh, it would be fun stuff, you know. Yeah, because I, I mean, when like you said, stuff like coffee and beer. It merges with all those sorts of things yeah. pretty well. I mean, not getting wrecked on beer and then trying to run a 5K and do strongman, but yeah. but like you said, those that's what I always thought was sort of hearty and and almost a humorous, good natured way with like stuff like Highland Games is yeah. they're not afraid to have a beer while they're doing this stuff, you know. It's yes, just, like, I agree. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, the event I've got already got Matt Vincent and Mike Beach coming out, so they're going to be there trying to get Lonnie out. 
Um, Jim and Juliet Windler jumped on board as a major sponsor yesterday. Fun. So, yeah, yeah it's going to be as big of an event as we can put on. So, in year one, and then looking to grow it more. I mean, I'd love to get it to the point, and I know Darren would too, because this was his plan in the beginning. I'm just on helping him to where we have everything. You know, we've got Highland Games Strongman, Olympic lifting, powerlifting, get it all. You know, you under, know, under Phil, roof. I didn't mention so. this before, but just the, the professor in me, it almost might be fun when you're talking about like social, like interactive things for everybody to do. It might be fun to do like a, a trivia thing or like not instead of just a dry lecture, like, you know, what do you know about sports nutrition or what do you know about uh, yeah. powerlifting versus bodybuilding and have, you know, I don't know, some, something interactive and give some prizes for, for the, the mental side of things. Again, that's I'm just throwing it out there. It yeah. It yeah. could be fun. I don't know. So. Yeah, I mean, that's my plans. I mean, is lots of competing, lots of events is what we're looking for. Um, more seminars, more of all that. That's so cool. I'm, I'm actually hiring another person because of this, because <laughs> I can't do all this alone. Right. It's a lot um, big. Sounds all big. these events and things. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're at. How about you? Uh, well, on the on the training side. Uh, I'm not going to do it sort of like what you said with instead of having to do your 550 for five sets of five in the mm-hmm. squat or whatever. Is, I'm just uh, I'm going to do um, a, a bodybuilding type diet, uh, but type. I'm not going to do it with the counting every gram of everything like I used to, but uh, with the idea of just I want to get down to this single digit body fat, but still stay around 200 pounds by mm-hmm. June. So, you know, it's more of a body comp thing for me. And like I said, it's. Um, just sort of a combination. I, I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm just – I'm not lifting heavy weights so much anymore. My joints just won't have it. I know that might disappoint some people, but I just – I was never that strong anyway. But, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like, why am I forcing myself to do multiple sets of 405? Because that's a lot for me. That's heavy for yeah. me. But why am I doing that if it's going to make my arms go numb because I'm compressing my spine and, who knows, screwing up my knees? Yeah. You know, like you were mentioning a 5K run. I could. I simply couldn't do that. I'm kind of waiting for yeah. stem cells to come along and get some kind of, um, you know, uh, knee treatment with that because yeah. I clearly tore my meniscus in my left knee. And what was I doing? I was freaking running. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, it wasn't squatting that did it yeah. to me. Um, and again, there with the impact stuff, you know, and yeah. the injuries. But I'm kind of waiting for stem cells to come along so I don't have to just have that stuff cut out and have the doc say something stupid. And I don't know if this would happen, but like, well, it's going to be bone on bone for 10 years, but you'll get 10 years. Out. No. How about you yeah. regrow what's in there? You know, I'd rather have it actually fixed. Yeah. But there won't be anything, you know, too uh, athletic going on for me. So I thought, well, then I'm going to do the my joints are kind of screwed. You know, the lesson I'm trying to learn from this is what can I do? Mm-hmm. Well, I know how to get lean. I think I'll do that. Yeah. It's fun to be lean. It's fun to be real lean. So um, I'll do that. Uh, it's in the lab. I got a, a bunch of stuff going on. Talk about knee uh, stuff. We have a very cool project, multi-center, with some of my former um, students that are doc students in physical therapy now. We're actually using coffee, I think in a clever way, to speed up knee rehab after total knee replacement. Um, and I, I don't know what, how, how much it's going to accelerate the rehab, but if anybody out there is th- looking at a total knee replacement, I don't know, fire us an email and I'll tell you more about it. But I'm, I, I have some really – the hypothesis is that this is, this is going to significantly reduce the amount of weeks in rehab. Um, so, And again, just with how to use coffee and, and go about it. So I think there's some cool things with rehab stuff. I've got a project going on with literally there's a, a coffee house across the street, new, uh, at the university. has every type of brew method imaginable. I want to take coffees – and maybe I'll, I'll try to get some from you guys, Phil, because we, we just mm-hmm. need – I mean, he'll take he'll order beans from all over the place, you know. But this guy's a real connoisseur about it. But um, I want to brew coffee in different methods and, and assess the health benefits to, to lifters or other people, frankly. Oh, nice. Like is a French press – coffee maybe the French press different from a vacuum or a cold press or, mm-hmm. or a pour-over – I want to know which one of these like delivers the most caffeine or the most antioxidants, and I thought it'd be kind of fun because more people in this country, uh, we, we get more antioxidants from coffee than we mm. do from fruits and vegetables, right? So th- that's a sad <laughs> commentary on how we eat, yeah. but thank God for coffee. So I think we should know. I mean, people might think, oh, coffee's coffee, Lowry. N- no. <laughs> no, I mean, it's yeah, not. I need to have you talk to my buddy that is like a coffee nerd. Because we had talked about this, and like he was pushing me to the cold press or the cold brew, yeah, over like forty-eight hours. He said because you get so much more out of the bean. Like if you got my high caffeine coffee, he said you do that way, and he said you're gonna get all of it. Yeah, um, 
So over that 48 hours, he said it just it gets everything out of that meat. Right. I meant so. exactly the point, right? And then I want to analyze this. I have a, a, a friend who's a, an analytical chemist. So I'm going to mm -hmm. get all, brew all these samples, send them over. And then interestingly, like that's we could look at how much of these different compounds in there, you know, chlorogenic acid and things like that, mm -hmm. caffeine. But then maybe, you know, in like a phase two, like, so does that help you recover from the gym or does that help yeah. you lift harder or, or, yeah. or, or. And the other thing I want to do in the lab is I'm continuing to look at gender and habituation differences in your response to coffee. So uh, some of the mental aspects, like something that I stumbled across in the fall was that I, I might have mentioned this on air before, but that women who are on birth control, because your liver is busy working at the birth control, the estrogens from the birth control, um, the caffeine response to the coffee in your blood is actually higher in women on birth control. So literally like 20% more caffeine hits your bloodstream or stays in your bloodstream over, let's say, a three to five hour period. So I'm like, well, then do women get more wired from a, a standard cup of coffee? Uh, so, or if you're habituated, uh, we have some interesting things about not just the physical, but the mental and physical. And one of our angles with this is not just coffee consumed at lunchtime or something like that, but as specifically as part of your pre-workout ritual, um, are there gender or habituation differences in how alert that you get, you know, when you drink a cup of coffee? Um, so yeah, between the brew methods, the rehab stuff, and then the gender differences and stuff, there's still, every time you answer something in research, it creates three more questions, you know, and that's kind of where we're at with that. Yeah. So I'm getting excited about that. I'm really getting into the food technology and the coffee stuff. You know, to say coffee is coffee, that'd be like telling a wine connoisseur, oh, wine's just wine. You know, they'd punch mm -hmm. you in the throat. They're not going to have that. So like I said, if there are advantages in brew method or in... If you're a woman, you know, we can't pretend that women are slightly smaller men anymore. You know, what is different about it and how yeah. can we maximize their benefits? So that's on the intellectual side. I'm, I'm getting into that, too. Okay. Um, we have a clip from Dr. Nelson. He's not surprisingly, he's on a flight somewhere this morning. So we're going to get a clip from him to close out the show. So expect the music to cut in and stuff when he's done. Uh, but I think that's going to be it. That's some plans and predictions, at least from from Phil and myself, and yeah. uh, and some of these different publications. So there you go. There you go. Having a good new year. Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike Tenelson here, and wanted to get you some of my top predictions. I was not able to get them in in time with the other guys for the show as I was down in Arizona doing five days of dissection work on fresh tissue uh, which is really cool and then got back for the august burns red show last night so i apologize if my voice feels a little bit off today from yelling and screaming at the concert last night so um so a couple things i think predictions for this coming year i think one of the top ones i have is that keto and ketogenic diets will still be near the top. Um, and I think by the end of the year, halfway through, you're already kind of seeing some of this now. You'll find some more uh, backlash kind of against that. Pretty much anything in the fitness industry, as I'm sure listeners have been following for quite some time, it goes from one extreme all the way to the next. So we had the whole phase where <laughs> fat is horrible, and then we have the whole phase now where fat is great, and on the other end you've got carbohydrates going from a high carbohydrate approach to a lower carbohydrate approach now. And we're even seeing some stuff now that I predicted a couple of years ago that uh, protein is becoming quote unquote bad. And usually that's in relation to longevity and possible animal versus plant proteins and things of that nature. So um, in terms of my opinion on ketogenic diets, I think that they can be useful. But if someone asks me, which I get a lot of emails on this, and I've talked about it on the show before, should I do a ketogenic diet? My first question is, what are your goals? If your goals are more, say, CrossFit or glycolytic work or strongman or speed and power, 
Uh, it's not the place I would have you start because you're doing a ketogenic type approach <clears throat> for listeners that is kind of moderate to lower-ish in protein by what's common in fitness kind of bodybuilding circles for protein intakes. Uh, fat is very high and carbohydrates are 50 grams or less. So when I was uh, in Arizona, I bought uh, some cookies, which are awesome at Whole Foods. And I looked on the back and there was about 45 grams of carbohydrates in each one. So if I had one of those and I was doing a ketogenic type approach, I've already maxed out my carbohydrates for that day. And again, a lot of times that does account for the smaller amount of carbohydrates that you will see in even things like non-starchy vegetables. So if you ever try to do a ketogenic approach at face value, you think, oh, 50 grams of carbs, that's low but not horrible. And you will go through 50 grams of carbs very, very fast. So I think if you're removing the main fuel that you're using for that form of exercise, right? So if you're doing more what they call glycolytic work or carbohydrate using work, like uh, the ones I just mentioned, removing of that, you're probably not going to see much of a bump in the performance. And in my experience, it's very hard for those athletes to recover, especially if you start getting in and doing more than one session per day. Um, however, if your goal is to look at something more like neurologic uh, issues, possibly uh, TBI, different types of uh, brain injury, uh, things where insulin can get all kind of messed up and fuel systems get screwed up in the brain. For example, like in a brain uh, trauma or issue, injury, uh, glucose metabolism gets all hosed up. So by that point, providing ketones, or as George Brooks's lab is investigating, even lactate as a fuel, uh, I think there's definitely some potential benefit there, and the mechanism makes sense. Uh, if you're someone who doesn't do a lot of exercise, and your movement doesn't, you don't move around a whole lot, I think a ketogenic diet can be useful in those cases. Uh, nothing that magical about a ketogenic diet per se. Uh, I would say the add of the caveat there is maybe some of the other um, byproducts that are produced in a ketogenic diet may have other neurologic benefits. I think that's still to be determined. The ketones themselves that are produced also have very specific signaling effects. How much of that will have a downstream effect, we don't know yet. So I think ketogenic diets will still be pretty popular. I think the pendulum will start swinging away for them, especially for athletes that are doing higher volumes of exercise. Because uh, we do know that long-term high-fat diets will result in changes to the PDH enzyme, pyruvate dehydrogenase, which will downregulate the full use of carbohydrates for speed and power. And that's more of an access issue. You have a hard time running that to the highest uh, degree. You can lose about maybe 5 to 10% off your top end. Again, if you're not a highly competitive athlete, yeah, probably not that big of a deal. If you are a highly competitive athlete in a sport that's using a lot of glucose, losing 5 to 10% or even a single digit percent is very massive. And one other addition to ketones I think the use of ketone salts as a supplement, uh, right now they're primarily a beta-hydroxybutyrate and they attach it to a salt. Uh, some of them will distribute that over uh, different types of ions, so maybe like two to four different types, which helps uh, absorption in the gut. So for people listening, you can take a ketogenic supplement, right, a salt, and now they even have esters on the market. And you will increase that byproduct, that fuel, primarily beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is considered a ketone for all practical purposes. The nice part about that is this will happen within about 20 to 30 minutes. If you were to do a ketogenic type diet, 
you would need at least 24, 48, and sometimes several weeks in some people to get those ketone levels high enough. So I still find that as a super fascinating area of research. Uh, performance implications on that are still very mixed, and we do have some uh, data looking at that combined with carbohydrates, which I'm not a big fan of that approach. But possibly using ketogenic supplements on a time where you're more fasted, I think may be useful. That's how I currently use them. Combining them with a ton of carbohydrates for the average person who does not exercise a lot, I don't think is going to be all that useful. So that's my thought on that. I think ketogenic diets will still become popular, but we're going to start seeing more data on the use of a ketogenic type supplement. And we're also going to find more information as people try it in sports that do high outputs of using carbohydrates. It's not going to be the best approach uh, for that. And I've already seen that kind of change a fair amount. Last other real quick point, I think we're going to see a lot more in the field of monitoring athletes, whether that's monitoring of sleep, for example. I know the new Aura Ring comes out in April, which I've seen and talked to the guys there. Uh, very cool. Uh, probably the best way for a consumer device to monitor different sleep cycles it also does HRV, which is heart rate variability, gives you an indication of the stress on your nervous system. Obviously, I'm a big fan of HRV and have used it with clients for about five to six years now and was one of my topics for research. So I think monitoring will become a bigger thing as they become more and more seamless. Again, the downside is, and we're already seeing this, you can provide almost too much data and get so data-driven that you lose touch with performance and how you feel on a day-by-day -day basis, which again isn't the point either. So I like using heart rate variability or different things like a megawave and other measurement systems, but you need to know the limits of the system that you're using. Uh, what is it telling you? So HRV is only telling you the status of the autonomic nervous system, and that's it. While that's extremely useful, it won't tell you absolutely everything. So I think we're going to see more data, more quantitative self, things of that nature coming up. And the pendulum will probably swing so hard in that direction that people will start getting rid of a lot of technology to get back somewhere in the middle. So in the meantime, I figure... Just use technology that's helpful, and again, make sure you know how to use it and what it is telling you, and I think it can be a very useful tool to help inform your intuition, but not necessarily to replace it. So, those are my two predictions for 2018. Who knows if they will come true or not. Predictions are always hit or miss. We still have a hard time even predicting the weather. But it's always fun to speculate on that. So thank you very much. Talk to you all next week. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. 
things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.